When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everybody, it's Hollister here, and I'm in Damariscotta, Maine, and I'm with Carolyn Crowder, who's a filmmaker, raised in Montgomery, Alabama, and she just, there was a showing of her film, and I'm going to have her introduce the film a bit to you right now, but it was when she interviewed Presbyterian ministers about civil rights in the era in the 50s, 60s, where some of those ministers stood up, and really they were counted in a very strong way and it was brave of them to do it and while they don't consider themselves courageous i certainly did so carolyn welcome to screen thoughts we're so glad you're here thank you very much yeah just give us in a sense or two if you can the film's title and also where it came from like when did you decide to do it carolyn when did you decide and why well the title of the film is at the river struggle and grace in the segregated south I have thought about it for years because I'm a kid that was raised to be a bigot. And what brought me around were Presbyterian ministers, either at camp or in college, at my college years. I went to Auburn University, and I just always felt a debt to the Southern Presbyterian Church for putting out these ministers out of the seminaries to go into these little towns in Alabama, Mississippi mainly, and uh, stick their necks out and get the Klan after themselves. Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, one of the things that happened was when Martin Luther King was marching and there was a minister that came down from Boston. Mm-hmm. We're talking Northeast now. Uh-huh. And he was killed. Mm-hmm. And I don't know oh, if he yeah. was the only one. in the movie. I, well, exactly. I, it's mentioned in the movie. Okay. And he was killed. But that's what gave national prominence to that entire era. If with that man had not been killed, many say it would never have spurned the national attention that it got. Yes. So what didn't surprise me is you interviewed, what did you say in the end, 30? 35 ministers. Yeah, 35 yeah. ministers. I never heard of any of them. I know. Okay, which is what's interesting to me is it's funny what gets prominence and what doesn't. And mm-hmm. one of the reasons I am really going to urge people to see this film is because they were 35 heroes, small heroes. And wonder, wonderful thing was said in the Q&A at the end with Wallace, who's one of the ministers who you're going to love in the film. He's just that nice-looking guy who you know you can count on. He said, look, it's the little actions. You know, we're all little people living little lives, and the little things we do will determine what the future of anything like the civil rights situation is going to be. So they all did. They didn't get national prominence because they didn't do anything big. No. But it added up. But it was big in the communities they were in. It was controversial. And some churches nurtured these guys but most of the churches especially in rural alabama mississippi hated that they were there telling them what they were telling them and and so many of them were run out of the church many of them were threatened by the clan they and they were the first people in the community to say something different and i also want to add these were all presbyterian ministers but i anybody could do a film about what the methodists did the episcopalians the luther a lot of those kind of guys southern guys who were in those professions 
did a lot. So the same film could be made about any denomination, and it's wonderful to know that. I didn't know it before I made the film. I didn't have any idea how many men, but I kept getting referred to more and more. I didn't know any of the Mississippi guys. And so I would interview somebody, they'd say, oh, you have to get Dick Harbison. You have to. And I didn't even know him. And so it's, it just grew and grew and grew. And I was very happy that there were so many. You know what was interesting to me, though, too, and it's something that I've noticed, again, going back to it's the little things that the little people do. I was very close to a Catholic priest. I went to the University of Nebraska, and I had read the Thornbirds, and I was going to have his baby on the, you know, on the floor of a, of a barn or whatever. I drove him crazy for 30 years. We were very close friends. Anyway, when it came out that the bishop said, you can't give, if somebody's gay, you can openly gay, you cannot give them communion. And he, in Nebraska, which, by the way, we're not talking about an easy state, right? <laughs> yeah. He gave communion anyway. Okay. That's the kind of thing Exa- these guys Exactly. Do. But yeah. here's the thing. What isn't in the movie, and does that, did you just not have time to cover it, or was it not there? The heads of the church, the Presbyterian management, the C-suite of the Sp- Presbyterian church, where were they? Well, was the doctrine the, the, coming down from them that you can continue to, yeah. uh, you know, wh- what well, was going on with well, that? Well, I think what influenced them is most of them had Presbyterian dads and they. These individuals. They were, yeah, yeah. And yeah. they were like more liberal Southerners. But I attribute what these guys did and what they knew they were walking into and pre- prepared for at age 26. Uh, I give credit to the seminaries. Because they trained them in in the prophets and in the New Testament. And so they came at it from a religious point of view. And they were well educated that way. And so they, they knew they were going to a small town in North Carolina or Mississippi. And they knew there was going to be trouble. But they felt that they needed to do, do the prophets and the gospels, what Jesus' model was for how you treat others, especially others that are in trouble, having troubles. And so they they came at it from that basis. They were well-educated. Gotcha. And I give the credit there. And I would say as far as the upper level of the church, some of the men that were in the generation before these guys were great. And I might say that in 1965, there was a fight from the the those leaders, those older leaders who wanted to have uh, Dr. King preach in Montreal. And they did. And it was very controversial. I had to have a police guard and everything to bring him in there. And that's in North Carolina. So I would say the leadership of the church was pretty good. Really interesting. Because yeah. it wasn't in the movie. Uh-huh. And I never heard the leadership. There was not, not one of these ministers that you interviewed said, my leadership supported me this way. In uh-huh. other words, what the, the leadership that they seemed to be dictated to was from what's called there, there's some sort of meetings. What is it called? The Asse- General Assembly. Yeah, Assembly, yeah. which I never heard of. And I went to the Congregationalist Church for many years. But, yeah. you know, Assembly, which takes place before they preach each week. And I oh, guess. Oh, no, you're talking about the session. The session. The right. session, yeah. They seem to have the power over the minister. Many I times do. the session voted, okay, you can't let black people come into this church. And then a couple of people you interviewed resigned at the end of that session where That's it was right. voted in. That's right. Okay. Now, one of the things that really struck me, there was one man who had four children. Two of them were in college. He was paying for them in college. After the session where they said you can't have a black person enter the church, 
He said, I quit. And right. he quit right then and there in the, at the end of that right. session. And he had no job. He had to leave the house. No house. The mm-hmm. house was gone. And he had two kids in college. But he, and what, what you say, I think, and I don't think he says it, you say it, it's, or another, another minister says, there's a line in the sand everybody has. I've always believed this, Caroline. Mm-hmm. Everyone has their line in the sand. Some some are easier than others, you right, know. Right. But there's a line in the sand. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We all have it. Like, yeah. okay, if you get extra change at the store, do you give it back? There's a line in the sand. Right, some do, you right, know. Right. But you wouldn't rob a bank, you know. And yeah, I, so you, right. we all have our lines in the sand. Yeah. And that's that's a courageous thing to do to say my life is going to change in my family's life because that's all what it's about is our family. Right. You know, that's going to change, too. It was a very courageous but see, moment. The, the thing you have to realize is they knew how he felt, but they voted anyway against him, against allowing black people to come in the church. He could not live with that. So he quit on the spot, but they knew for his position ahead of time. So they, you know, it's more or less deliberate. And they, they knew he was going to quit. So he had two kids in college and two younger kids and no housing because they had to leave the manse. And that man never recovered. He was an interim here and a something there, and he was never in charge of a church again as a as a pastor. Um, and he they lost financially. They lost he lost his profession. He's one of the biggest losers for standing up that I had in the film. And by the way, not once does he complain about what he lost. No. Yeah, nor no. nor does he seem and, to regret any move that he made. Yeah, you know? no, they don't regret. Uh, they did, they knew they were doing the right thing. So. But it was just a hard, right thing. Yeah. And let me tell you this. You might be interested in this. Dick Harbison, who was in Canton, Mississippi, uh, who's quit in the pulpit when they barred the doors, he stood up and said, we're not having church today because it's no longer the church. No, he said, this is not our church anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so he said, and there were two teenagers, boys. One of them's dad was president of the White Citizens Council, which is the equivalent of the Klan. And they loved Dick because he took a lot of time with the teenagers. And when he quit... I've, I've since met and talked with him, and he, when he quit, they, they said we were so angry at him because we loved him, and we, he, we didn't want to lose him, but these 17, 16, 17-year-old boys. And we were so angry with Dick for so long, and they said, but well, we both are Presbyterian ministers. So you see the influence he had. And one, like I said, one of their fathers was head of the Citizen Council. You don't get any more right-wing than that. Is that true? Yeah. yeah. It's like the Klan. It's uh-huh. the Uptown Klan. And what, and what does that group do? What is their job? What is their task? What are they trying to accomplish? Keeping the black people down. Okay. And well, not, certainly not in the church. That's a heavy job. <laughs> that should take, it takes a job. village. It takes a village to do they, that. They, they, yeah. uh, they, they would threaten people, take their property. or There was one, one, one description, and I don't want to give the movie away because by now I know you all want to see it. <laughs> One guy, he was starting to preach. He looks up, and this guy in full deck Ku Klux Klan paraphernalia, whatever you want to call it, regalia, he's sitting in the third row, and he. Oh yeah, that was. And then that he, was in North Carolina. Well, and he gives and he gives a quote from the Bible that says, yeah. you know, I can't remember the quote. Maybe you remember it. Oh, if you can't hate your brother and love God, you, you yeah, know, that that, you, you can't do both. Yeah. And at the end, he walks out, and the guy is standing outside the door, and he holds up his ring. He's wearing a KKK ring, yeah. and he sort of runs it by his eye level. And he yeah. said he was frightened, but it was also bizarre. You it was, know, it was, it was like bizarre. He was just yeah. trying to show him who's well, boss. You know, when you wear when you wear regalia like that, mm-hmm. it makes you feel like a powerful person when you probably have no power. 
So it's, uh, you know, it's all understandable from a psychological point of view, but it's also very interesting. So anyway, it's a wonderful film and you get to see the thing that's, that really struck me is every one of these ministers, you know, you'd like them. Well, the great words, men. The great but, they all, men. but they also have those faces that you trust. But then I pointed <laughs> out to Francis, who, who you all know, Francis. Who who attended with me? I said, well, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer had a great face too. He <laughs> did. He did. Yeah. He had that little boy cute face, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, but here I want to now take some time. I'm I'm telling you, it's worth seeing to hear what they did, how humbly they did it, right? And okay. strong and, and very strong. strong. Yeah, but also clear, clear conscious and clear mission of where they were going. But now we're going to leave them behind. Okay. Because enough about them. How about you? <laughs> Okay, so here's Carolyn, right? She grows up in a house where they teach her from the get-go. Don't talk to black people. Don't ask them oh, no. questions. They taught me that they that I was superior um, to any black person. Yeah, it, well, because sometimes the only way to elevate yourself <laughs> is to make sure there's somebody underneath you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, okay, so anyway, and they even, she even had a woman of color who she was very fond of who worked there. Okay, right. at one point your mother says to you, Ride your bike down, pretend you're right. playing, and tell us where she sits. If she, when she gets on the bus, does she go to the back of the bus or does she sit at the front of the bus? And you knew. Oh. It, you know, by the way, you must have been eight, right? I no? was 10 years old. Okay, 10 years old. Well, no, yeah. I was born in 46, so this was 56. 56. Okay, you knew that if she, if you told your mother she sat in the front of the bus, your mother was going to fire her. Right. And, and you loved and I her. would lose her. Yeah. And I okay. needed her. All right, it so happens that she went to the back of the bus. Right. So you could but here's my question to you, Carolyn. When you look back at that moment, mm -hmm. if she had sat at the front of the bus, would oh. you have told your mother the truth? Well see, there was my dilemma, riding my bike down that little hill and watching Do the bus. Do you remember the, it being a dilemma? Yes. It, I was wow. in a quandary because I had been taught not to lie to my parents. But I w didn't want to lose Ruby. So if she sat in the front, I was in a real dilemma. She went to the back so I could say that to my mother. And I didn't have to lie. It was an ethical dilemma for me at age 10. And Ruby saved me because she went to the back of the bus. But she shouldn't have had to do that. No, she shouldn't have. And but she, you, they had won the right to sit anywhere at that point. Well, you would have lied. I don't, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I was so relieved that she went to the back of the bus. And I hated being relieved about it. But I... But I, Carolyn, how was, did you hard. at the age of 11... 10. 10. Okay. I'm going to give you, I, I, I'm taking away a year. Okay. How did you know right from wrong innately? In other words, how did you know your parents were wrong when in my mind, when I was 10, my parents, whatever they said, I believed was truth. Mm -hmm. How, what part of you, do you think that people are born with an understanding that, wait, something's wrong with this picture? Mm -hmm. Or do you think someone crosses their path that shows them a better way? What what At is that it? point in my life, it was just me and Ruby. And as I say in the film, she was the only female nurturance I got. Okay, period. And so I didn't want to lose her. It was a selfish thing. I didn't want to lose her because I needed her. She would talk to me and listen to me and give me advice, something my mother and grandmother never did. So I was very attached to her. And she was a true Christian in my eyes. She, she was kind and loving in that system of segregation and all that ugliness. Somebody said to me, I, I often said that John Kirkendall in the end changed me. But somebody said, no, Ruby changed you at 10. She changed you because I couldn't hate. 
knowing her, I couldn't hate black people. Exactly. And I was supposed to be hating black people. Exposure is everything. It is. It really is. Yeah. And there's this saint. She's really a saint. She was a saint. And she was kind to me. And she had five or six, eight children at home. But she was taking care of me. I know. And I was, in my mother's own secret way, she loved her. And she did a lot for Ruby that I didn't know about until I shot the film with Ruby. Mother never told me I did this. I'll give you an example. Mother was a banker. And Ruby was getting phone calls at work because she didn't have a home phone, uh, pestering her. And she was in front of these loan sharks places. And so Mother said, who is that calling you all the time? And she said, well, I've borrowed from Peter to pay Paul. And she said, I'm in a bind. And, she, and my mother, who was the vice president of the bank, said, I'm gonna, bring me all your loans. I'm going to pay them off in full. I'm going to get your interest back. And she said, and if you need money, you come to the First National Bank in Montgomery. No black person had ever set foot in that lobby. So I found that out for Ruby. So you maybe, see what I'm saying? There was a lot of good stuff going so on between So maybe them. your father was a little more vehement about this than your mother. No, mother was worse. Really? See, that's the contradiction. It's such a con- yes, the contradiction of it. But by the way, knowing that contradiction, it, you know, we're not going to have time. We're going to have to wrap up. But knowing that contradiction, one of the things that strikes me is the time in which we're living, when the chasm between, mm. in my mind, right and wrong is so large, in other people's mind, their right is my wrong. But, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, we have to give it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But the chasm is so big. I think that's such a great story to remember because that mm. shows that don't think you know exactly who these people are right. because you don't. Right. You never do. Right. Caroline, thank you for <laughs> spending this time. And also... I said, thank you for making the movie. Uh-huh. Now, I will point out to women in film who will be watching this, you financed this yourself. I we're did. talking about with six, my dad's money. Yeah, with, <laughs> wait, which, by the way, he would be rolling over right, saying, what right. has she done? Oh, yeah. Okay, but six figures. You know, We're not yeah. talking about a minor amount no, here. No. So congratulations. That's your line in the sand. That's your give back. That's your payback. That's everything that's, that's good about it. And by the way, I'm sure it's the best money you ever spent. It is. So thank it you is. for being here today. You're welcome. Thank you.